Hi, Shannon Waller here on the Team Success Podcast, and I am very, very excited today because we are doing something a little bit different, and I have a new friend with me named Neil Satin, and Neil Satin is a relationship coach and the host of a fabulous podcast, which I had the pleasure of being a guest on, called Relationships Alive. And it is a powerful conversation, and I appreciate that our conversation was quite popular with your listeners, Neil, so that was great. Yes. And in deepening our conversation and our relationship, you know, I was thinking about this, thinking, wow, teamwork happens more than just at work, and teamwork needs to happen at home, and who better than to actually go deep into that conversation than you, Neil. So, Neil, thank you so much for being a guest, and I'm very excited about our conversation, how people can really gain insight and wisdom, which is a little unconventional. You're going to point out some things that people didn't know they didn't know, which I love, and how they can use that for their personal relationships. And since I think these principles are true, anytime we are in relationship with anyone, it's obviously transferable to business too. So I am delighted to have you on board. Thank you for joining me. I am also really excited to be here and and to talk with you and share with your listeners whatever we can to help them with their relationships at home and at work. Fantastic. So just so that people can get to know you a little bit better, how do you like to introduce yourself? I mean, obviously you're a host of a fabulous podcast, but you also do courses with your wife and you've met with a ton of experts and you have a real passion around relationships. So let people know where you come from or where this passion for relationships come from and who you are. Yeah, well, in your work, you talk a lot about unique ability. And I think I stumbled onto this as part of my unique ability purely through happenstance. And I wouldn't have necessarily Mm -hmm. known except that it was pointed out to me. And it was also a theme that kept recurring in my life. Nice. So I've been passionate about learning about relationships and what makes people tick and how they work and how they don't work for more or less as long as I can remember. (laughs) My father was a psychologist. He's retired now, but um, I'm sure I soaked some of that up through osmosis. But it's also just been a passion of mine. I've loved being in relationships. And when that merged with my sense of mission and what I'm doing in the world and how I can have an impact in the world, it just seemed like an obvious fit. Mm-hmm. So the way that I introduce myself to people is typically, you know, when they say, what do you do? I'll say, well, I host this podcast called Relationship Alive. My mission is to help people do relationships better, to thrive when they're in relationships. And I've been able to, as you mentioned, speak to some of the most amazing thought leaders in the world around the question of how to be in relationship, how to communicate, how to have better sex, all of those things, what to do when you're single, how to heal from trauma. It all represents a big picture of how I think we need to approach showing up in relationship because it's so much about who we are as individuals and what we bring Mm -hmm. to the relationship Mm -hmm. as much as it is actually developing the skills of when you're there with someone and it gets real, what do you do and how do you do that successfully? Mm -hmm. Successfully meaning you know, how do you keep it from falling apart or people getting angry or feeling shamed or how do you stay connected or even get more connected and more resonant with other people? So that's really what's important to me. And I also am something of a synthesizer. So I love to bring all kinds of different information together and make it accessible for people, which makes total sense with a podcast and the courses that we've done. 
But I think that's just also part of my lifelong passion is pulling in bits and pieces and then being able to make it useful for people so that they're not just kind of lost in, okay, that sounds great, but what do I do? How do I actually make that happen? Which I think happens a lot Uh when you get expert opinions and then you're like, well, how do I do that in my day-to-day life? Well, and one of the things I really like, because you've been kind enough to share some of your your written down wisdom with me, is that you have very practical steps and language. You give people the words, which I like to do too. So it's very practical. It's very concrete. You leave people with that. And we're going to share some of those goodies towards the end of our conversation. Great. So stay tuned. And then you too, as I do, love curating information and cool people and being able to winnow through all of the stuff that's out there and the people and the ideas into the ones that really are practical and applicable and help forward people to have much more effective relationships. So, yes, I love this. What a great opportunity to talk to you. And I want to point out, too, that I think one of the reasons that we're talking is that so much of what has been born from Dan Sullivan's work and Strategic Coach how you transform negative things that happen to you, how you set intentions for what you want, your vision, and thinking bigger than, you know, just what if I do a little bit better? Like, what if I do 10 times better? All those things, those really resonate a lot with the relationship work that I do. So that's, I think, why we had our initial conversation and and why we're still here talking to each other. There's a lot of alignment there and resonance. Yes, definitely a kindred spirit. (laughs) I love it. Well, let's jump in because you said skills and I was like, aha, (laughs) that's what I want to know. And I'd love to know what are some of the common mistakes people make? And then what are some skills that people need to develop? Those are both big questions. We can bounce around that. But what are some of the things that you see that people are just kind of not aware of that gets them into trouble? That's always what I want to know. Not that I'm mistake averse, but I hate making stupid mistakes. That just really bugs me. So what are some of the common things that people do sort of unconsciously without knowing that they're going to derail things? And then what are some skills that you help people develop? Or what are some of the things that you notice that when people do this, all of a sudden, it's like the clouds part, the sun comes out, (laughs) angels start singing, (laughs) things get better (laughs) dramatically. But let's start talking about what are some of the challenges that people commonly experience in relationships and what they can do about it. Yeah. And you're right. Those are big questions. We could go so many different directions. You could be here for days. <laughs> yes. And, and let's. Let's do that. It'll be the, the epic podcast. So the thing that jumps out to me always when I start thinking about common mistakes that people make is that people tend to not be aware of themselves mm. and aware of their actual physical state, their emotional state, and how that is impacting them in terms of how they interact with other people. And in fact, a lot of the time, people are driven by that emotional state to act in ways that are counterproductive to what they actually want. Mm. So just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, I feel all stirred up because the dishes are in the sink. And my partner and I have had this conversation over and over again about I do the cooking, you do the dishes. Yet I wake up in the morning and there the dishes are. This doesn't happen in our life, of course, but here's the example. So I start to get all riled up. At that point, I think that the problem is the dishes in the sink. So I might go to my partner and say, Chloe, that's my wife's name. Chloe, what's the deal? We had this agreement. There are all these dishes in the sink. You know, what's going on? Already, I've messed up. 
<laughs> at that point. Now, some people might think, oh, well, I did what I was supposed to do because we had an agreement and the agreement was violated. So what I need to do is go and be honest with my partner. This is how conventionally we think about our relationships and communication. But the mistake was that I didn't recognize that I was all riled up mm -hmm. and that I was trying to fix being riled up uh -huh. by going and talking to my partner. And in relationship, there's nothing that riles you up more than confrontation when it's not handled well. Uh -huh. And there's nothing that actually brings about a relaxation or regulation in more like scientific terms than connection with your partner. But if you go to your partner and confront them about the dishes, then connection is probably the last thing on their mind at that point. No, they start playing defense. Yeah. Right, exactly. So you're actually making things worse by going and talking to them about the dishes. So this whole question of can we be aware of what's going on with us in the moment enough to take care of ourselves so that we don't bring that into our communication with our partner is huge. Let me just jump in because this is pretty fascinating. <laughs> this is so wise. And I love this because I think this is so true personally, but I can tell you a kajillion business examples where, where people have not managed their own state. And we talked about this in preparation for this podcast, learning how to handle your own emotions. And I love how you talked about knowing yourself because know thyself is kind of like my mantra. And this thing I coach, I bring in a million profiles, as you know, we've been talking about too, to help people become more aware of who they are, how they respond, how they strive, what triggers them, what doesn't trigger them. But the whole idea, the premise here is that you need to take ownership of yourself first and your own emotional state before you attempt communication. And I think that's sort of an emotional maturity thing, <laughs> for lack of a better term, that most people don't realize. I think we give a lot of responsibility to other people for our emotional well-being, yes. which is, from what you're saying, completely misplaced. So actually learning to calm yourself down, regulate your emotions so that you can have a constructive conversation is massive. Actually, now that I think about it, learn how to handle strong emotions is number 10 of my entrepreneurial attitude team success strategies. So awesome. somehow I intuited that, <laughs> mostly because I saw what happened when you didn't. So that's amazing that the responsibility is with us first to manage ourselves before we can reach out to someone else. Not to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make that point because if you think someone else is responsible for your emotional well-being, good luck. <laughs> that doesn't work very well. Right. And this isn't to say that other people don't impact us. Uh -huh. Obviously, they do. So I think the point isn't to say like, oh, well, I shouldn't have been upset about the dishes. And just to be clear, there are dishes in my sink right now, and it's my fault. So I'm, <laughs> I'm truly not pinning this on Chloe. <laughs> so other people do impact us. And what are you going to do with that information? Are you going to come to them about the ways they impact you in a manner that's definitely going to lead to conflict or separation or acrimony? Or are you going to figure out a way to do it that actually leads to collaboration and being creative and all of those things that require the front part of our brain, our prefrontal cortex? If you're not able to access your prefrontal cortex, you can't be creative, you can't collaborate, you can't be playful. It, mm. You can't even really have fun. Mm. So as soon as you're upset, 
you're in the part of your brain that is all about, and we spoke about this, all about fight, flight, and freeze. You're not even accessing the part of your brain that knows how to problem solve, or it knows this very primitive form of problem solving, which is either attack or get the heck out of there, or just shut down and hope that the danger goes away, right? Oh my God. As you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, how many times have I experienced that lower level? Because it really is. It's kind of the reptilian part of our brain. Yeah. <laughs> survival. And yet that's not where I want to be, not what my intention is, and not where I experience the greatest joy and happiness. So that's fascinating. And yes, it goes back to our lovely brains. Right. And what's so funny about this is that when you are, and I'm going to use the word triggered, but you could say activated, you could say dysregulated, that's a more scientific term. But when you're in that state, you actually think that you are problem solving. You think, that confronting my wife or my husband, that's the way to fix this. I'm problem solving right now. Mm -hmm. Or I'm getting out of here. There's too much pressure in this situation. I'm problem solving. I'm getting the heck out of here. So you're wrong when you're thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> but we do a good job of convincing ourselves that we're actually taking appropriate action. And that's why knowing yourself is so important so that you can see the signs, oh, I'm actually in this state. It's like being able to realize, I don't know if you've ever tried to do lucid dreaming or if anyone listening has tried this, but the whole trick in trying to lucid dream is to recognize that you're dreaming when you're dreaming. Right. And that's the hard thing, right? And yeah. so you learn all of these techniques that help you create awareness of being in the dream state when you're dreaming. So we're actually doing a very similar thing. You've got to create awareness of being in this triggered state when you're triggered, which is not the easiest thing to do. But once you get it, it starts to click. And once you and your partner have a language around it mm -hmm. so that you can invite each other into that awareness, then that's when big shifts in relationship can happen. I think the language part is so key. It's like when you have that little tiny little space between whatever triggers you, basically it's stimulus response. When you have a little bit of space, it could be just a little iota, then you can go, oh, okay, there's some room here rather than just being one of those old, they used to call them executive games where you drop a ball, there's like six balls hanging, and one ball, you lift up one, it smacks, and then the one on the other end just goes up. Most of us are like that. Yeah. You know, something just goes right through us and we just react instead of actually transforming <laughs> that strong emotion into something productive. But knowing what your triggers are and even just knowing it's like, oh, I'm triggered right now. That in itself, that allows you to kind of observe the response you're having. And then you have some choice yeah. about how you want to respond. And sometimes you may need to leave the situation or tell the other person, I don't think I can respond the best way right now. I'm feeling really triggered and I need to go manage myself. Then you're not putting it off onto the other person. You're taking responsibility and ownership for your own response. Yeah, so important. There's so much in what you just said. And we can offer some helpful hints to listeners about all of that. One thing, though, that I love, you brought in that analogy of the little desktop thing with the balls dropping. I like that because, in a way, it allows us to let ourselves off the hook a little bit. That what's happening is physics, it's biology. Mm. So this whole bringing awareness to it and changing the pattern is a big deal. It's interrupting mm -hmm. something that has developed for, you know, millions of years or, you know, thousands of years, depending on your viewpoint. 
So that's helpful, I think, to recognize like, oh, it's not that I'm messed up that I'm doing this. Like, this is how we're designed. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do now is to take our amazing design and evolve it Mm. into something that's a little bit more productive and collaborative. I love it. This is human evolution, everybody. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I'm definitely emotional evolution. There's no question about that. (laughs) Awesome. So the first skill you talked about was that ability to just be aware of your state. And obviously the mistake is when you're not aware and just reacting out of that. What would be another danger or problem that people run into and then the skill that they need to develop as the kind of the antidote? Yeah, okay. I don't want to lose sight. There might be some helpful notes on the skill that we can offer people later, you know, ways to actually put that into action. But we'll move on and we'll circle back around to that. So another thing that comes up for me is, let's see, there are two sort of competing ones. Well, let's go with the container. So when I talk about the container, what I'm talking about is basically the set of agreements that you have made with your significant other about what you agree to do and what you agree not to do. And so much of the time we assume these agreements exist, Uh you know, especially if you're married. Well, we took these vows, so we agree about everything, right? Right, of course we don't. And the nuances of what you're agreeing to and what you're agreeing not to are often very different and worth talking about. Now, that, of course, means that you need to be able to manage your state and you need to be able to communicate effectively in order to have conversations about your agreements. Otherwise, those can actually be really destructive conversations. Uh So your state awareness and how you communicate are kind of the building blocks that, in a way, precede container. But having an awareness of this is what we're agreeing to helps you know whether you're in integrity or not. Uh It also helps you take care of the safety in your relationship. And no matter what school of thought about relationship you're looking at, and there are probably four or five modern schools of thought around how to do relationship well, but no matter which one you're looking at, this question of are we safe or not is paramount. Now, some schools of thought like to mess with the safety a little bit because it helps people stay excited. I don't personally think that that's a sustainable way to maintain enthusiasm in your relationships. I do not recommend that. And it turns out that having a very rich level of safety with your partner frees you to experience all kinds of things together that vulnerability and playfulness and courage, all those things almost require a certain amount of safety in partnership as a prerequisite. And one important thing just to mention about that, Uh so there's your agreements, and then there's also your awareness of how you check out of your relationship. And this is also often referred to as your exits. So it's realizing how you pull back or how you dissociate when things get challenging. Mm-hmm. And this could be Facebook or addiction to social media. It could be friends. It could be literally like having affairs or things like that. There are all these different ways of exiting the container of your relationship. Mm-hmm. So having awareness of that also tends to lead to having agreements or conversations about those things so that you and your partner 
are always on top of like, what is it that keeps us connected to each other? What is it that amplifies how amazing we are? And what are the things that we each do that we can own and take responsibility for that detract from that so that we can be helping each other not do those things and instead focus our energy on how we grow best, the ways that we're really special with mm-hmm. each other. I want to talk more about the container, but before I do that, I want to talk about safety because that is such a fascinating topic to me, and I'm so glad you brought it up. And by the way, we will be talking about your three secrets to communication, which deals with some of this. So yeah. you will have some very practical things to leave with, don't worry, as you're listening to this. But the whole thing about safety is really interesting, and, and I think I've been very aware of this, both personally, but as you were talking, I kept thinking about, I love coaching entrepreneurs and team members together, and one of the things they're least aware of is the need for creating safety. You know, for an entrepreneur, it looks like giving their team permission. For a team member, they need to feel safe enough to speak up. You know, there's all these little subtle ways that they need to do this. And I know that the safer we feel, for example, with our friends, with our life partners, the more we are able to be ourselves and our best selves. Yeah. And I think it's something that... I certainly didn't get any education on this. No. You know, it happens. Our best friends are the ones that somehow we clicked and we didn't scare each other <laughs> and we ended up feeling really safe, if you can think of it that way. Yeah. But it isn't really a set of skills that we're really conscious of, at least not in my case. So I find this fascinating, but also just so absolutely essential. You know, as you're listening to this, think about with whom do you feel safe being yourself and with whom do you not? And what are some things that people do to either add or subtract for that? Those are very interesting thoughts to have and questions to ask. So anyway, thank you for bringing that up. So let's talk about the container, because I think the whole thing about assumptions, and I still remember in grade five when they define the word, it makes an ass of you and me. (laughs) (laughs) So it almost never works. And and this is true also from a business side, I explain the difference between entrepreneurs and team members. If a team members come from a corporate environment, the language of business is the same, but really they've entered an alternate universe Mm. when they start working with an entrepreneur. And we make assumptions about where people are coming from and usually in my business conversations, <laughs> they're coming from somewhere very different. So let's take it to the personal for a moment. What are some assumptions that people make in their containers that are accurate or not accurate? And where do people get into trouble with that? I'm curious as to a specific example, because you've coached, I don't know how many couples, lots, and you see, I'm sure, some common assumptions that get made that get broken, or they're not on the same page, and it leads to some challenges. Yeah. (laughs) All I can see on Neil's face, by the way, is just, which one do I choose? Because there are so many. (laughs) It's so true. Almost any area of relationship contains the potential for you to be assuming something. Typically, on the biggest level, it's assumptions like, well, I just assume that my partner sees the world the way that I do. Mm -hmm. Yep. So being able to recognize that They don't, (laughs) even if it seems like they do, they don't. Uh And developing that skill of seeing the world through your partner's eyes. We're used to this saying like, oh, if I were in their shoes, that I would do X, Y, Z. And typically when we say that, what we're really saying is if literally I, Neil Satin, was in Shannon Waller's position, then this is what I would do as Neil Satin. The trick Uh is for me to understand you well enough so that 
I know if I were in your shoes, this is what I would do. I would do exactly what you would do because I understand you so well that I know what Shannon Waller does and I know why she does it. And I know how the world does or doesn't make sense to her. And this is important because most of the time, no matter who you're talking to, what they do makes sense to them makes perfect sense to them. Uh And so if someone does something that to you is incomprehensible or just seems so stupid or like, why would they do that? Well, that's because if it was you, you wouldn't do that. It doesn't make sense to you. But as you can bring yourself into their perspective and actually figure out, oh, this is how they see the world. Uh This is why they're doing what they're doing. This is what motivates them then that becomes an amazing tool no matter where you are. I mean, obviously there's all kinds of opportunity for that in our modern, (laughs) you know, civic and political life to understand each other. But definitely in our household, it's huge. So that's one of the things that jumps out at me is this assuming that you are me, that we actually are the same. Mm -hmm. Just to note on that for a moment, for people who are into relationships, which like I've always been fascinated about people in business. So, you know, when someone does something to me that's incomprehensible, which happens fairly frequently, (laughs) I think to myself, oh, my gosh, under what set of assumptions or what set of facts or usually it's a mindset? How are they thinking about things in such a way that that would make sense? Because I have exactly the same way of thinking that you do that to them, that makes sense. To me, from my standpoint, it's like, you're crazy if you think that would have worked. But, you know, that's me. But there is a way that it made sense to them. And it's actually kind of fun. I consider it not a game, but kind of to figure out, okay, under what assumptions, especially if a team member comes to me and says, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this person did this. I'm like, oh, well, let's see how they were looking at things. And I find that a very interesting, fun flip. I have to say, I probably am less successful at doing it in my personal <laughs> Do you ever find this? Well, you do at work, you don't always take home, and it would be really strategic if you did. Because, again, I think because I make those assumptions, and my husband's name is Bruce, if it's something people don't know. And Bruce and I, from a profile standpoint, have very similar Colby profiles. And, you know, we've got three out of the same five strengths finders strengths. So it's easy for me to go, oh, we're very similar. And that sometimes I'm like, what? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's kind yeah. of fun. I think it's very, very, very important to do exactly that you said, to recognize that other people are not us and to be interested and curious and open to who that person is that we've chosen to spend our time with, our life with, and to not assume that we know because we can get into big trouble if we don't. Love that. Yeah. And I think maybe another important thing to recognize about assumptions and agreements is that these often also represent the conversations that are challenging to have. And because they're challenging or edgy, and we don't know how to often how to have those conversations without things blowing up in our faces, Mm -hmm. this goes all the way back to the triggered part of the conversation that we were talking about, then it becomes much easier to not talk about them or to make those assumptions rather than to find a way, oh, like, Here's an example, like, what are our agreements about being Facebook friends with old girlfriends and boyfriends? Perfect example. It's easy to just be like, well, that would be a hard conversation to have, so I'm not going to have it. Or I'm just going to assume that they know that flirting with their 
X is actually a bad idea in the context of our monogamous commitment to each other. Uh Or I'm just going to assume that we have the same idea about our monogamous commitment to each other. I mean, you can see there are all kinds of levels where there are things that could be defined and should be defined, I think, in terms of fostering the kind of safety where you can lean on it. Now it's no longer an assumption. Now it's something that you've made explicit. You've talked about it. So there's power in that when you know that you're on the same page. I actually love that example because that was exactly a conversation on the radio as I was driving in a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) And people were calling in with their different should you, shouldn't you stay Facebook friends with old exes and stuff. I love that example. I'm going to hypothesize that some people don't have those conversations because once it's explicit, you need to be accountable to that. Yeah, totally true. And others like, well, I don't really want to have that conversation because I don't really want to change my behavior right? It's If you bring something to the surface and make it overt, you can't slip back. Then you're directly going against your word, which is not cool. Right. Thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you're making me think of, because that kind of thing happens all the time, right? Where let's say you show up five minutes late at the office and no one says anything. And then it's like 10 minutes late. And then it's a half an hour late and no one says anything. And you don't say anything because you're like, well, you know, if no one's saying anything, it must be okay, right? Uh You don't know if it's okay or not. Like you could actually get the pink slip as a big surprise one day when they're just like, oh, well, you were never here when we were having our morning meeting. And so I just assumed you didn't care about being here or, Uh right? So again, there's a big assumption. Uh And if you had spoken to, let's say your supervisor or your boss and said, hey, like, no one's saying anything, and I've been coming in late, and I just want to make sure that that's okay, or here's why I think it's okay, because here are all the ways I'm fulfilling my work, but I wanted to check in with you about it. If they say, actually, it's not okay, now you're accountable, right? Oh my gosh, I wish people had that conversation <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's a great example. And that happens at home, too. Like for some of us who aren't great at time sense, we're not doing it to be annoying. But for someone who is always on time, and that's a real value for them, we tick them off every single time we are late. But if we never mention it or just give it, oh, sorry, you know, and don't actually give it its weight, then we're silently driving them crazy. And they're probably feeling trapped. Yeah, Because where do they go, right? Right. They're stuck with you. (laughs) Right. Or they'd come talk to you about it and you'd get defensive, right? Right. Yes. You get triggered and all mad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is fun. I'm just reflecting on this question of how when you surface something, it makes you accountable. Uh I think the reality is that we always are accountable. And even if we're not accountable to another person, we're actually, I think most of us have a part within us that is judging or is keeping track of things and how we're doing. So if you're not living up to a standard, you're accountable to yourself, even if no one else is saying anything or paying attention. So the idea that we're not accountable is an illusion, I think. And in truth, it's really just making our accountability explicit. That, again, is where all the power is. And a lot of these things are about actually activating you so that you can be more in the moment, in your relationship, in the situations that have the most impact, that matter. And the more you shy away from that, then the more you're just going to be coasting and 
kind of a victim to whatever's happening in your circumstances. I'm sure we could talk for hours on that one particular topic. And by the way, if you're listening to this going, hmm, I think I need to know more. I think I've got some work to do here. Then Neil, they can reach out to you and we'll give you your contact information in a little bit. But I think you have so much wisdom and insight to share. And more importantly, frankly, pathways to help people get to where they want to get to. Relationship Alive can give a lot of advice. And you interview some people that I probably will not be interviewing (laughs) (laughs) for that particular topic. I love it. So I want to move into your three simple secrets to transform your communication. Because again, this has some of the skills that you are talking about and some of the strategies and language. Are you cool with moving on to that? Or do you want to, is there anything I've missed that we should make sure that we talk about? No, that's great. That's great. And you're right that any one of these points we could talk for hours about. Yes. I love when someone has a similar mindset with a different topic. (laughs) To me, there's just so many fun intersections of that. It's very fun to play. And by the way, this is something that I think you're going to make available to everybody, which I'm excited about, the three simple secrets. But let's talk about them because I found them very impactful and wise, and I like to share wisdom. Well, I don't want to give it away, and it actually ties in with what we've been talking about. So, Neil, what is the first secret to transform your communication? How do you define that? Well, the first secret is I'm thinking both in terms of what I wrote in that guide and also what we've been talking about in this conversation Mm because I want to make it make sense together. So the very first thing that I think we should talk about is bringing that level of awareness about safety to any conversation that you're having. Mm -hmm. So in other words bringing this question, and I want to credit Marty Babbitts, who is a guest on my show with this question, bringing the question, is what I'm about to say going to make this person or my partner or my beloved feel more safe or less safe mm. with me? Uh-huh. Because you can talk about anything, probably almost anything, and you can do it in a way that's going to trigger the heck out of your partner, or you can do it in a way that will invite them to being in a playful conversation with you about that topic. Uh And it involves an awareness of, again, what am I saying? And how does my partner see the world? Yeah. So you're setting up as more like a philosophical query, not something that's going to practically apply unless something happens out of that conversation. I'm going to make a leap here that some people (laughs) go, what? How'd you get there? (laughs) And I'm going to relate this back to business, which is what the leap is. It's really interesting. Understanding how someone else is going to receive it is so key. And we have this exact example between entrepreneurs and team members and entrepreneurs like literally entertaining an idea. Yeah. What if we did this? And panic ensues. Yeah, probably a little different topic than what you just chose. And literally the whole, yeah, it's like, what? You gotta be kidding me. That means this and this and this doesn't happen. And what about this job? And what about this person? And what if let's do to our existing clients? And the team just goes bananas. And the entrepreneur literally is thinking out loud. Yeah. And it's a train wreck. So this is where we brought in a tool that you actually have used in preparation for talking to me. And I sent you one today to set up for the podcast. So this is where the impact filter comes in. So if anyone wants to check this out, it's Extraordinary Impact Filter is one of our quarterly books. So you can get that off strategicoach.com or Amazon. Even Dan Sullivan will say, unless my idea is a company with an impact filter, ignore it. 
like there's zero commitment, zero anything. It's not something we're putting into action. Yeah. But it's that same dynamic. So even though you're talking about right now a personal relationship, I see it happen all over the place where someone literally is just entertaining an idea and having fun playing with something. They may say, oh, my gosh, that's the worst idea ever. But until they think it through and talk it through, they can't reach that conclusion. But if they're not careful about how they set up the context, chaos ensues, just yeah. as you said. And it's a disaster. Yeah. And the teamwork and the relationship actually can get damaged out of that. You know, and people are like, oh, my gosh, what have they just done to our relationship? Yeah. You know, so I think your point is so key, especially with something that looks completely out of the whatever norm people are used to. It can be really surprising unless people set it up properly. Yeah. And understand who's receiving the information. Yeah. So in my example, just in all fairness, like some people want to have that conversation and have it not be a philosophical conversation. They want to have that conversation for real. Mm-hmm. So again, you need to go deeper and think about, okay, how do I create a context of safety for my partner so that we can have this conversation? So when we're talking about something that could be really challenging in Mm -hmm. most relationships to have that conversation. But if you're able to say like, all right, how do I, for instance, let my partner know that I love them unconditionally and that they are my top priority and that if it didn't work for both of us, then this isn't something where I'm going to make some big demand or that I'm going to throw a bomb in our relationship. So how do I bring it to my partner like that so that it's like a farmer preparing the garden before they plant the seeds? So Neil, we've been talking about being triggered in a conversation and you have some amazing strategies for helping people kind of regain balance. And I want to talk through those before we go any further. I don't want to skip over this. So when you're feeling triggered in a conversation, by that, I mean, there's an emotional, well, actually, first of all, how do you describe being triggered? Because I think that's key. Yeah. I have my own definition, but it may not be yours. Yeah. So where I focus in on is where are things landing in your body? So for instance, most of the time, as we've talked about, you're in that part of your brain that allows you to be social and cooperative. So those are not triggered moments. Triggered moments plunge you into the part of your brain that's geared towards survival. And every one of us has our own unique way that that shows up in our body. So one of the really important things for everyone to do, and especially you listening to us today, is to think about and identify what are the ways that being in survival brain shows up for you physically. Mm. And the reason that I say physically is because often those physical sensations start happening before the other stuff kicks in, before our fight or flight or freeze kicks in. We'll notice like a tingling in a certain part of our body or sweaty palms or heat in our forehead or butterflies in our stomach. I'm just naming a bunch of possibilities, but it really could be anything. Some people like lose contact with the lower half of their body. Mm -hmm. Like from the waist down, they just vanish. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to notice how you respond when you are getting triggered so that in the moment when you feel those things happening, you can have the little light bulb go off that says, oh, my palms are sweating. So I must be getting triggered right now. And this is important because it's so easy to just automatically like go down through the floodgates into trigger land, that having anything along the way that just is like a reminder of, oh, this is where 
here I am, like getting triggered, allows you to show up differently in that moment. It slows things down. Well, and I think actually really cueing people to your body. First of all, it's a very powerful reminder for me personally. So thank you. Because, you know, normally we are kind of going along and we're pretty happy in our little heads. And then all of a sudden we have a physical response to something. And if you're not anticipating it or expecting it or it takes you by surprise, you're like, huh? What just happened? Yeah. So I think that's a very, very important clue. So the first thing is to identify when you're triggered, which is you'll have a physical response, especially one that you're not anticipating. So that's cool. So what happens after you go, oh, okay, I'm, something physical is happening? And I think, I think you're going to talk about the next about speaking up, but even just saying to yourself or to whoever you're talking to, you know, oh, what your physical reaction is, is really interesting. Yeah. So what's the next step? So, and I love how you brought that in because that is also a great way to speak up. And what we're talking about now is developing the plan. It's like having the emergency plan in place so that when things happen, you don't have to think about it. It's like if you know that the baby is due any minute, then you pack the bag. You don't wait for the contractions to start, right? Before you like start packing. So this is our equivalent of being ready so that when it happens, we know what to do. We don't have to think about it. Because again, remember, the thinking part of our brain has kind of gone offline in that moment. So yes, I love what you just said. If you know that something is happening with you physically, it is super powerful to bring that into the conversation, to say, wow, honey, like I'm noticing right now that my palms, as we're talking about this, my palms are getting really sweaty. Or as we're talking about this, my heart is racing. So what's so powerful about that is it also brings our partners into the moment too. Now in a business setting, you have to feel out whether or not that sort of thing is appropriate, but it actually might be. And especially if over, you know, in the big picture, you're developing in a a context in your work environment where it's permissible to talk about emotions, then being able to say like, wow, you said that thing about the quarterly earnings and I just noticed the sinking feeling in my stomach. Again, it brings us into presence, into reality with each other to talk about things like that. The other thing that you might do is just say, hey, I'm getting triggered. So if you have that vocabulary as part of what you talk about with your partner, then being able to say, hey, in this moment, I'm triggered And I'm not going to be able to process what we're actually talking about right now. I need a moment. Can we breathe together? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But can we focus on coming back online so that we can have this conversation or do whatever it is we're doing? You know, we get triggered in all sorts of environments with our partners. If you start to sense that your partner is getting triggered, which we so often do, right? Like we know like the look on their face changes a little bit or their jaw gets tight or the way they're breathing, we perceive those things. And often when we perceive those things, that's when we start to go into danger mode too. So it can be tempting to say something like, are you getting triggered right now? Which is generally not the right way to go. <laughs> That's not the best way to bring that no, up. No, <laughs> no. I wish it were because it's so easy to take other people's inventory, as mm-hmm. we say. But if you notice something going on with your partner, two important things. One is you can just proactively say, 
hey, I think I'm starting to get a little triggered right now. Because the truth is that even if you're not in that moment, you are probably milliseconds away from mm-hmm. getting triggered because they're triggered. Good point. We have mirror neurons that just make that happen. Mm-hmm. So you can just own it. Hey, I'm starting to get triggered. Can we take a minute so I can come back into balance? Own it for yourself and bring your partner along for the ride. The other thing that I love that I just found out in a conversation with Sue Johnson, actually, a fellow Canadian who created emotionally focused couples therapy, where when you see your partner getting triggered, to remember that what triggers us is that something has made us vulnerable. Mm. So if you can see your partner not as someone who's triggered or angry or defensive, but if you can remind yourself in that moment, oh, I'm seeing my partner in a moment of vulnerability, then that helps you also bring a different quality to those moments with your partner. It's funny because I got triggered with my husband last night (laughs) and I just left. (laughs) like, I'm leaving now. (laughs) And I did a little retail therapy. But then I came back, which was the good part. As you're talking about emotional stuff, especially in the workplace, one of the things I love, love, love most about entrepreneurs and working with entrepreneurial companies and that I coach team members on because they're not necessarily expecting it is that emotions are much closer to the surface and much more permissible in an entrepreneurial environment. It's like what you see is what you get. You know, one of the entrepreneurial attitudes is learning how to handle strong emotions, yours and other people's. I like it because to me, it's real, it's authentic, it's genuine. So I actually think these skills, this capability, because I can think of so many entrepreneurs, our default is mad. (laughs) Uh We don't show the vulnerability very often, to be totally honest, but we'll trigger to mad. And that can be very scary Mm. for our team. And I know entrepreneurs who are not terribly sensitive to when their team gets triggered, but you'll see a team member's face that's fairly, you know, I would say low affect to use a psychological term, but fairly calm, but all of a sudden it'll be like set in stone. Mm. You'll just see them kind of, and you can just tell their body's having a major reaction to whatever was just said. And I know tons of people who just walk right over that. Yeah. And we brought the word triggers into our company because we've been doing this print profile. And it's incredible because it is now part of our language. We do talk about that. There are certain triggers that are embedded in how people are motivated. It's like, here's your best self, here's your shadow self, and the triggers that take you from one to the other. Yeah. So we can look at someone and go, oh, if I say it that way, that's going to trigger the heck out of them. Yeah. So we're trying to add that. I would call it emotional awareness, but frankly, it's just good communication strategy to appreciate how just me showing up as me could be triggering to someone else just how I'm me being me. So it's interesting to just be sensitive to the fact that we have a lot of impact on other people's emotional well-being and having a language and having tools and strategies for how to de-escalate and get back into relationship and communication with people is really, really essential. So as you're talking about this in a personal relationship, I'm also just very conscious of how it absolutely applies in entrepreneurial companies. Yeah. And the truth is that one of the reasons I think that we tend to steamroller through those moments where you notice that something is going on with the other person, but you're just like, all right, something's going on, but it adds more fuel to your fire in a way rather than Mm -hmm. slowing you down is I think the fear that if you dive into that moment, there's no way out of that moment. Totally. So this might be one way where when you can practice it with your partner, then you can feel like when I actually bring my attention to that sinking feeling and voice it to my partner, 
that might be something like, oh, I'm noticing the sinking feeling in my gut. Does that make sense to you? Like why I would even be feeling that? Mm. then as you dialogue in the moment and get through, because emotions, the beauty of emotion is that they tend to end. They resolve when you actually shine a spotlight on them. When you ignore them, that's what amplifies them. Interesting. So as you bring that into the work environment, if you are noticing like, oh, my colleague just totally shut down and you even feel in yourself that like rising anxiety of like, well, I'm just going to keep going, right? If you slow yourself down and say like, oh, I'm noticing I'm feeling a little anxious right now. Like, does that correspond to something that's going on with you? Then that helps bring the other person back and you're in relationship with each other. And typically then you can resolve those things and then move on to the heart of the matter or the meat of whatever it is you really wanted to talk about. That's so true and so helpful. So you also talk about coming back into balance. To me, the whole physical thing is very interesting. So what are some ways where we can calm down our nervous system a little bit so that it makes it easier to access our prefrontal cortex and (laughs) regain our intelligence? It's helpful to remember that all of these things going on with us are wired in to our biology. Yes, So it's really challenging to think your way out of it. Right. It's not impossible. There are some like structured dialogues, for instance, that help regulate you when you engage in them. Imago dialogue, which is Harville Hendrix's and Helen LaKelly Hunt's work is one of those things. But for the most part, if you recognize that you're having a biological problem and you address it biologically, then it's a much more reliable way to keep yourself from veering totally off course. Uh A lot of this is based on the work of, that I know of anyway, of two people. These are the things that I promote. One being Steve Porges, who talks about the polyvagal theory. And we don't have to get into that. That would take us forever. But it's basically, he mapped out how these responses are hardwired into our body, fight, flight, freeze, and what physiological things we can do that bring us back into balance. Another technique that I'll mention in a moment is by Peter Levine, who created somatic experiencing, which is one of the world's leading therapies for dealing with people who have been through trauma and like major, major trauma. So not just the trauma of where were you last night, but the trauma of, you know, war and conflict and big things, right? Mm -hmm. And both of these are going to be connected to the breath. So apart from the healing that you get by simply naming what's going on with you, which again is engaging the part of you that thinks and might help be bringing things back online. What they've found is that when you slow your breathing down and particularly your exhaling, when you slow down your exhalation, that that along with your diaphragm helps activate the part of your nervous system that is correlated with safety. Mm. So if your breathing is rigid, then you are going to be giving your body the signal that it's in danger. So slowing your breathing down, and I like to even just kind of count to four. That's a comfortable pace of slowness for me. So I'll count to four as I breathe in, and I'll count to four as I breathe out, and I'll do that for a few minutes. That's immensely calming and also very connecting if you can do it with your partner. You'll notice how challenging it is to make eye contact and things like that when you're in a triggered state. But if you can be collaborative with your partner and look into each other's eyes and slow down your breathing together, that does a lot 
to help connect you as well as bringing you back into balance. This also ties into heart rate variability. I don't know if you've talked about heart math and that sort of stuff on your show at all. No, I'm familiar with it because Babs is actually is a big fan of that. Oh, okay, great. But I haven't brought into the show. Yeah. As you've been talking, I've been consciously breathing slowly. <laughs> and it totally works. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. in fight or flight situations, I'll do it, but I haven't necessarily done it in a triggered situation. So this is really, really helpful. I can't really imagine yeah. entrepreneur and team member staring into each other's eyes necessarily. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not that. But the whole thing of just intentionally focusing on your nervous system and using breath, and I didn't know about the connection with the diaphragm, to calm yourself down and create that safety again. Because you're totally right. It is when we feel vulnerable. And then we get into that kind of like, do I need to run away? Do I need to fight? You know, whatever I need to do. And we can actually like just calm ourselves down. And we can provide safety for ourselves in that moment. That's incredibly, yeah. incredibly powerful. Yeah. I want to get to to your last step. So I love the whole thing of while well, breathing together. And then you also talk about naming what's going on with you. So can you jump into that a little bit? Because I think that's very helpful. And you talk about being able to stop a situation and go, you know, time out a little bit. Yeah. So all that we're talking about, naming that you're triggered, naming the physical sensations going on in your body, asking your partner, does that connect with something that's going on in your experience, which is bringing curiosity into the moment, which is another thing that you can only do when you're in the front part of your brain. All of those things help engage the part of your brain that is calming you down and showing you that you're safe. Dan Siegel in his work talks about you name something to tame it. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, we do that a lot with our kids, like helping them identify their feelings as a way of metabolizing their feelings. So even if you're not doing that with the other person, just doing that internally, oh, like I'm noticing that I'm feeling this sensation. I associate that with disappointment. I must be disappointed right now. And I wonder if there's something beneath that. Oh, I'm sad or I'm hurt or I'm scared. Ideally, you are voicing your vulnerability to your partner in a context that's safe because that's super connecting. But by doing it within, you are connecting to yourself, which also helps promote safety. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I did want to mention too, the Peter Levine technique that's connected with the long, slow exhale. He calls it VU. It's not like taken from the French, at least I don't think so. But basically you say the word VU and you draw it out as long and deep as you can. So it would sound Ooh. something like this. VU. And I'm pretty well practiced with this, so I could do that for probably two minutes, actually. Wow. But by doing that, that's another thing that not only is slowing your breathing down, but by doing it at a low resonant pitch, that's another thing that is helping create resonance in your body and give it the feeling of being safe because those like slow resonant waves are familiar to our body in context where we're safe, like when we're nestled in our mother's arms or we're breathing. Okay. These are all like long, slow, rhythmic patterns, like breathing when you're asleep or hearing someone's heartbeat, that sort of thing. Uh -huh. So VU slows it down. This is one of those things that is actually, as ridiculous as this is going to sound, super powerful to do with your partner. And sometimes like with my wife, we don't even say I'm triggered. One of us will just start vooing and it's a signal that, oh, I'm triggered. And if we're feeling 
in the spirit, we'll voo with each other and sometimes you can harmonize or just have fun with it. It lightens the mood and humor is another thing that does help break the tension of fight, flight, freeze. I'll bounce that off, Bruce. I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> can't quite picture Great. it, but yes, you never know. I can't, yeah. yeah, probably won't take this one to work, but you never know. And understand that low resonant sounds where ohm comes from and chanting. And there's a lot of, you know, I haven't heard this particular word before, but there is something when you literally resonate with that sound, it is a very safe space. So that totally makes sense to me. I love that. Have never thought about doing that with Bruce. So that'll be a new capability. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which will be fun. So just getting into your last point, which is if you need to take space. So if you're not able to do that or, you know, what do you do if you, in my case, run away <laughs> for a little bit? Right. What's a healthy way to do that to make sure that you don't lose the connection or the relationship? Yeah. So if you are the kind of person who the only way you can chill out your nervous system is to be alone or to go out for a walk or something like that, then that's totally acceptable for one thing. What you have to realize is that more often than not, people who need to take space end up paired with people for whom taking space is extremely threatening. So that creates that pursuer-distancer dynamic that's really familiar to a lot of people in relationships. And when you're doing couples work, you see it all the time. Uh So the antidote to that is to be able to take your space and at the same time set limits on it so that it helps your partner stay safe. So if I need to go away and I'm like, okay, this is like I'm super triggered, I can't talk about this until tomorrow, then I might say, you know what, I'm just noticing that my nervous system is overwhelmed. Let's talk about this tomorrow at 10 a.m. And getting like super specific, I'm saying super a lot for some reason, but getting (laughs) very specific about time is part of what creates the context of safety. Or, you know what, I just need 10 minutes to be alone. Can we come back to this conversation at 2.30, 2.30, 10 minutes uh-huh. from now. Uh-huh. That way, the anxious person for whom space is threatening can hear that time and be like, oh, okay, like this isn't an undefined amount of time. This isn't one of those typical relationship moments where we say, we'll talk about it later, and but who knows when that's going to happen, so it never happens. The specificity gives them safety and actually helps those people let you take space. And if you're one of those people, and I'm pointing to myself because I tend to be more one of those people who like doesn't like space in those <laughs> situations. I love space when I'm not triggered. I don't necessarily like space when I am triggered. It can be helpful to say to your partner something like, I just want you to know that I'm here for you. And I recognize you might need some space right now. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you 10 minutes or 20 minutes or how much time do you need? And I want you to know that I'm not abandoning you. Uh Because whereas if you were just like, oh, my partner, they're triggered, they need space, I'm out of here, then you actually are triggering the safety in your partner as well, who probably doesn't like it when their power to take space or not is taken away from them by someone else leaving the room prematurely. Uh Uh So that's part of the naming it as well is like being aware enough of, oh, that dynamic is going on so that you can speak to it rather than being victimized by it in the moment. 
There's so many things I really appreciate about this. Number one is it's really about taking ownership, as we've been talking about, over your own reactions. Yeah. But you've given some really powerful clues. And explain the dynamic, because I had this happen, where all of a sudden I was feeling something in my body. Sometimes I feel like, I'm not usually consider myself slow, but sometimes I feel slow. I'm like, what is going on? And I remember this even growing up. It's like something would be bothering me. And it wasn't like a physical ailment, but it was something in my body. And then it would take a while to bubble up to the surface as to what I'm like, oh, that's what set me off. Yeah. So I think really learning to tune into your we're physical receptors of emotion and to really appreciate that and to use that as a clue and then to be able to put some language on it, like I'm feeling triggered, be it with your partner at home or because we tend to work so closely in entrepreneurial companies with one another, this happens all the time at work. I mean, you're talking about personal relationships, and I'm thinking about all the work examples I can think of. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, I was thinking earlier even about, like, what if, like, a meeting started with, like, everyone had this awareness, right, of, oh, we are creatures with nervous systems, and let's calm down our nervous system before we even start this meeting mm-hmm. and where you don't have to look into each other's eyes, but where everyone just kind of breathed together for a few minutes just to slow things down and then did their agenda building and whatever else had to happen. Well, it'd be much better meeting than most of them. I can t- yeah, <laughs> tell you that right now. So powerful. <laughs> it would be. And entrepreneurs are able, I think, to set that tone in a way that yeah. can't as easily happen in a corporate environment. I would totally agree, if they're willing. But I think the whole idea of taking ownership of it, of having the language, naming it, Mm -hmm. I think is really, really powerful. Knowing how to calm down your own nervous system and then asking for the space if you need it or if someone else needs it, just negotiating that and not leaving it. I mean, this is definitely something I can get better at. It's like, okay, we're triggered right now. Let's calm down ourselves down, however we want to do that either together or apart. And then let's make sure that we do connect about this tomorrow or what have you. And I think that just having those practices, if you practice them at home, you'll be way better at them at work. If you practice them at work, you'll be way better with them at home. So I just think there's a lot of essential wisdom here because we, in truth, get triggered all over the place, personally and professionally. And in my experience, people are kind of walking around, sometimes unaware, stuffing it, not having the language or the tools to be able to get out of it. So I think the whole thing about creating more safety in all relationships is something that you've helped us access to do. So thank you. I love this information. You are welcome. And I think that as people are aware of this and noticing it in the environment around them, they will probably be surprised at how often they notice other people being triggered around them or that it's actually coming up for them. So Mm -hmm. we've named it to tame it in a sense, just in this conversation. It'll be incredibly helpful, I can tell you. Thank you. So in your handout, you talk about presence, which you've talked about before, just being aware of where you're coming from. And then your second point is, well, what I'm about to say, make my partner feel more safe in our relationship or less. And being very conscious about that. So let's get to the third one, because you have seven words to change everything. And I think this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Now, before we do that, I just want to point out that when you were talking about all those other questions, and I'm glad that you brought that up because we were kind of focused on something that is really challenging for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that entered the conversation. Let's just trust that that happened. (laughs) So if someone out there listening, it's going to make a difference. But it's true that in general, we operate in our lives kind of 
automated. Like we go through our day and we kind of have this sense of, I know how this day is going to unfold. I know when I'm going to eat breakfast, when I'm going to have lunch, when the kids are going to come home, all of that stuff. And so all of those questions, what I noticed about it was that I could imagine like if Chloe came home and said, I really think that we need to move to Oregon. My first response would be like, I'd get that kind of gasp for breath, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that really any question that represents a change from what we are doing, no matter how small, and I'm going to experiment with this, like Chloe's away on a trip right now, but when she gets back, I might be like, baby, what if we change our toothpaste? You know, like just something mundane just to see what happens. Because I have this theory that almost any change kind of brings a, huh? Like a, oh, wait a minute, that's not what we do. Again, it threatens the safety, the normalcy of what we're used to. So having that awareness, no matter what the question is, I think is really helpful for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm, for sure. So now getting to those seven words that change everything. And I elaborate on all of these in the guide that you've been referencing. There is an important note on presence too that I think is so crucial, which is just, this will make sense to everyone who's been listening, mm-hmm. that presence is, yes, being aware and being in the moment. Presence is also a commitment to noticing when you are triggered to do something about it before you interact. We did talk about that earlier, but I wrap that into presence mm-hmm. because some people are like, I'm super present. I'm just really ferociously angry right now, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Right? So that's important. Okay, the seven words. And these are a contribution from the Imago Dialogue work, which is the work of Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt. Mm-hmm. They wrote a book called Getting the Love You Want. He was a guest on Oprah like 18 times. I think he was the most frequent guest on her show. Wow. And they've been on Relationship Alive twice. So it's two phrases. The first is, did I get it? Did I get it? So that's four words. And then the second one is, is there more? Three words. So just by hearing that, you are probably getting the sense of how important it is to help your partner feel like you really get them, like you really understand them. And this is one of those things that the idea is that the more you can do that, the more it fosters a reciprocity in your relationship. So many times when things are going right, it's easy to be like, my partner doesn't understand me. They don't get me. And it's so frustrating. So what this does is help you change your focus a little bit to, am I really understanding my partner? Is there more that they're not telling me that they could be telling me. So the words, did I get it? This is a reflection of you listening to your partner and actually offering back to them what you heard and making sure that you even understood them correctly. How many times in any communication does it kind of go off the rails because someone says something and you hear it one way and it's not the way they intended at all, Uh right? And most people, when that happens, that they're off, like they're in fight, flight, freeze land. If you stop yourself and are able to say, wait a minute, like, I think what I heard you say is X, Y, Z. Did I get it? Is that what you were saying? Then they have a chance to either confirm or to say, no, you didn't. That's not quite right. 
Like, this is what I meant. Or you heard what I said, but this is what I actually meant, which is often what happens. I was just going to say that because sometimes you say something, you're like, I didn't come out quite right. Or you get clearer in the speaking. At Coach, we have this process where you think about something, you write it down, and then you talk about it. And the talking is so powerful because not only is your partner hearing it, but you are. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get a chance to refine your thinking as a result of that. So that whole idea of reflecting back, it allows the person to get clearer. And I think that, for me at least, is a very helpful approach because I'm like, okay, this is actually a discovery process. Yes. It's not about me just, do I get what they say? If I can look at it that I'm helping both of us get clearer, then I'm actually coming from that contribution state rather than defensive. Yes. So that's a good mental trick to go, okay, together we're going to get clearer on what my beloved, my partner is saying, but this translates to just about anyone you talk to. That's probably why I love these words, because did I get it and is there more? You need to take to your kids, take to your colleague, take to your entrepreneur, take to your boss, although that's not my favorite term. Even someone you meet in the consumer world, if you're in a store or something. I don't know. I think there's just a lot of opportunity for getting clearer, because I'll jump to a conclusion. And if you're a fast thinker, fast talker, <laughs> like I am, it's super easy to make those assumptions and just think you know already, yeah. or jump to a conclusion that may or may not be accurate. So... And I love the practicality of the actual words. So did I get it? And is there more? So love it. Yeah. One way I like to look at it is that your end of the bargain when you're in a conversation with someone is to understand them as much as possible, mm -hmm. to soak them up as if you're a sponge. And the is there more is like, I want to give you every last opportunity to give me all you got. Because so often we're focused on how we're going to respond to what the person is saying. Mm -hmm. And when you're focused on how you're going to respond, then you're losing the actual information that they're giving you. Mm -hmm. So this process forces you to really listen and understand and hear them and make sure you get it. With the idea being that you'll get your turn after, like when they are truly empty then hopefully they're like, phew, you know, thank you for hearing me and understanding me. What do you think? Like that happens more often than not. And if it doesn't, there are some other words that aren't in the guide, but I'm going to give them as a freebie to everyone listening right now, Yay. which is, so this is after I've listened to you, Shannon, for an hour <laughs> as you've told me everything that you think, right? And then afterwards, if it doesn't seem that you're, inquiry about me is forthcoming, I might say, would you be willing to let me share with you how I see this situation? Uh -huh. So you're getting permission and agreement around that person listening. And then hopefully that is really an invitation to their inquiry and curiosity about you and your perspective. My experience, if people don't ask, you know, what do you think? They just may not have that in their brain. It doesn't mean they don't want to. Yeah. And so I think your follow-up is very appropriate. And I think there's no reason for resentment if someone doesn't just say, oh, what do you think? Because they may just be in the experience of being empty. <laughs> yeah. Just pausing for a moment before they take that next step in the conversation. And it's great because this goes along with, which I've mentioned to you before, the collaborative way. And the first step is listening generously. If you're going to collaborate with someone and live out of that creative front of our brains, prefrontal cortex, then we need to be able to listen generously. And that means 
you know, it's like help me understand is one of their languages. But the did I get it and is there more? I read another great, it's called The Coaching Habit. And if there's the awe question, A-W-E, and what else is what yeah. that stands for. So same theme of just making sure that you've helped the other person extract all of their thinking because then it's all on the table and then you yeah. can both look at it, which is really powerful. Yeah. So these are three amazing secrets. So if people employ these again at home and elsewhere, what's the result? How does it shift things from before to after? And then mm. we'll wrap up. Yeah. A lot of what we've addressed in our conversation today has been dancing around this question of how do we handle the things that challenge us? How do we surface the things where we excel? Because all in all, what I want to do with any couple that I work with is to help them amplify what's amazing about them and help them mm -hmm. remove the obstacles, like the things that really challenge them, like let's handle that so that it's not always dragging you down. But you can't do that if whenever you're trying to talk about anything you veer off course and you end up getting disconnected. Mm. So the purpose of these things and the other aspects of it that I talk about in that guide is to help you stay connected no matter what you're talking about. And that helps you foster connection no matter what you're doing in your relationship. And remember, we're talking about relationships. So from my perspective, staying connected is a really good thing. I'm not talking about it in like an enmeshed kind of codependent form of connection. It's more like, oh, how connected I feel when we get to feel successful because we talked about something challenging or we got through something difficult or we shared the joy of something amazing even more. Those are the moments that I think I live for in my relationship. And yeah, so being able to implement these steps in how you communicate it with your partner will help you stay even more connected rather than I think what we tend to experience, which is we're connected until something comes up and then it's like a bump in the road. And then it could be a day, a week, a year, you know, some people have like a major bump and they're like, wow, yeah, a year ago we went off the rails and we're still trying to figure out how to deal with that. This hopefully saves people from that. I love it. And I invite all of you listening to recognize that there's a certain tenderness to how we connect because our hearts are involved as much as it might make logical sense for us to be with whomever we've chosen. Uh -huh. Our hearts are part of that equation too. So just to remember that that requires a certain level of care. And it's so ironic that we often don't bring that care. Like we'll be so careful about what we say to our boss or our coworker, but we come home and, you know, we let loose on the people we love the most. So this is at a higher level also an invitation to just bring that same level of caring to how you nurture the connection. And this guide that we've been talking about is all how you do it through the way that you communicate. Oh, this is so good. And I think that is one of the things when you read the guide, which we'll give you the instructions for in a moment, how to get it. But that whole point of being connected, and I want to just tie it back to relationships in general, not just your home ones, because I think your three secrets to communication work everywhere. Yeah. My specialty is in entrepreneurial 
teamwork communication and the, the same things that go awry in a personal relationship. I've seen them happen so many times in a working relationship because people weren't paying attention. They weren't committed to staying connected no matter what, which is a huge thing. And sometimes people, I think, don't think that that's required at work. But I know at least, I don't know, I can't speak for corporations. That's not my area of expertise. But at least in an entrepreneurial company, people's hearts are involved they care passionately about what they're doing and they're up to something and they want to have a positive impact on their clientele and they want to create a great environment, hopefully, for their team to be successful and to grow too. So, you know, entrepreneurs are heart-driven. They're very smart. There's no question about that. But there's a passion behind it, which is why I love working with entrepreneurs and their teams. So to respect that is important. And I think to bring that to the table and to recognize this is why the higher level communication and relationship skills are so key, because that's what's required to be successful in an entrepreneurial company. And if you do it here, you'll take it home. And if you can do it at home, then you can do it here is kind of how that comes together. So I think this completely applies. And that ability to listen and not just look at things from your own standpoint, go, oh, well, I think that idea is on crack, but he or she thinks it's a good idea, so let me get curious now. <laughs> it's probably a really good skill to have. Yeah. So, did I get it? Is there more? And then would you be willing to listen to me? That's just a powerful conversation with whomever you're having it with. So I think your secrets are just that. They are secrets because I can tell you most people I know, including myself, don't put them into play all the time. So I love that. And I do think it can lead us to a much more connected and, to your point earlier, playful, creative conversations that allow us to collaborate, which is that's where the fun is. That's where yeah. the new stuff is. That's where the, you know, that's where we get to be our best and better selves. So I really appreciate you elaborating on these and, and sharing it with us. So how can people get it? Because I, I want everyone to have it. So if you're listening to this and go, okay, I want to see it in print because I know lots of people receive information that way. So how can they have access to your, your three secrets? Yeah, so it's very simple. You can visit neilsatin.com slash relate, R-E-L-A-T-E. That's easy. Yeah, so you can go there and just enter your name and email address and I'll send you a link. If you're in the States and you're listening, you can just text the word relate to the number 33444 and it'll ask for your email address and then you'll get a link to the guide. Awesome. Neil, I just have to say thank you because I love how, you know, your specialty is in personal relationships and having them be able to operate at a really high level of safety and curiosity and creativity. And that's what I want to do with teamwork relationships. So I love being able to tap into your expertise and wisdom and translate that to how people can take this home with their own loving relationships, but then also use it in other areas too. So thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom and insight with us. I have learned a lot. Interesting to see what makes sense to me and where I get triggered. <laughs> it's like, hmm, where's some work to be done here? But really powerful, and I appreciate, again, you sharing and taking your time with us. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Shannon, and thank you for having me on the show. Okay, great. So please, again, check out Neil Satin's website. By all means, go get the information and make sure you tap into Relationship Alive. Listen to the podcast because you will learn a lot. It will stretch you and also just make you an even better partner than you are now. So Neil, again, thank you so much for listening. Everyone else, thank you so much. And as always, here's to your team success. Take care. Hi, Shannon here. And thank you very much for listening. 
If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate the Team Success Podcast on iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd share the podcast with anyone else who could benefit. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Coach Program for Entrepreneurs, visit us at strategiccoach.com or the Strategic Coach channel on YouTube. For free downloads and more team success strategies, visit teamsuccesshandbook.com. Oh,